Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If uh, we haven't met yet, my name is Jesse, part of a great team here. I get to preach the word most uh, Sundays, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning. <clears throat> so if you want to turn there, go ahead. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, just raise your hand. One of the guys would love to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, uh, you can take this one. Uh, as we've said before, if you want a nicer Bible, there's a few in the lost and found at the info desk, and then there's some even nicer ones in the bookstore for sale. If, uh, if you are new, uh, we do want to connect with you. We want to get to know you. And uh, one of the ways that we do that, we ask you to just visit uh, the info booth to my right, your left in the foyer. It's really hard to miss, but just stop by there. we got a free gift for you if you're new. We want to hook you up with something cool and, uh, and just allow you to know who we are. That's your first step of connection, so please check that out. Uh, a couple announcements before we get into um, the series. Uh, I have some slides if we can uh, get to, uh, there you go. Um, we partner a little bit with an organization called Hula Nupua on Honolulu, and they're involved in uh, freeing those who've been victimized by sex trafficking. And we have a free training event coming up that we want to invite you to. So in your program, this is the only thing that we have as far as announcements goes. This is a training that we're providing for free on August 26 at 5.30 p.m. Now, who is this for? It's for parents. It's for anybody who's involved in uh, any kind of volunteering position, youth position. Uh, it's for police officers, firefighters. It's for anybody who wants to be able to identify uh, and prevent those who'd be victimized in, a, in this kind of industry. Highly recommend that you come and sign up. I'll be there. Uh, several of our leaders will be there. And this is a big deal. And we support Jessica, who uh, helps uh, go th um, run this organization. And then Nick Sensley, some of you might remember Nick. He was part of uh, the, uh, our local police officers here. He was the head honcho and a uh, great guy. He came to our church for several years. And so want to encourage you to come check that out. And then, and then in the fall, we have two things for the ladies that are coming up I want to make you aware of. One is Genesis. Uh, if you're a, a gal and you have time in the morning and you want free childcare and you want to dive into the book of Genesis, please come. And then the other one is on Wednesday nights starting in September. I think it's the 18th um, next month uh, is Allie. My wife's going to be teaching in the book of Romans. So if you like, this is pretty incredible. I, I know what it takes to study a book of the Bible and, and to teach through it. And the fact that we have uh, someone going through Genesis, which is a big book, and someone going through Romans, which is another big book. This is really cool. It says a lot about what kind of church we are and, and how we study the word. And if you're a gal and you want to see your head explode this fall, go to both, okay? Because you, you're going to get a, a lot of really good information. So just want to make you aware of those. And then uh, we're also looking to find someone to step into Christy's role so she can step into the youth ministry for nursery. So we're still looking for somebody uh, to help out in the nursery. So if that would be you, please contact me. We'll get you connected with the right people. Um, at this time, I want to invite <clears throat> Caleb to come up, uh, Caleb Dero and Amy and Jeremy. Where are you guys? Are you guys in here? Someone might need to, there's Caleb. Caleb's the youngest guy on staff now at this point, and he dresses like a baby boomer. So it's kind of cool. The Hawaiian shirt, it's a cool thing. I thought that'd get more laughs. So. <laughs> Apparently not. You look great, man. I'm. Um, so I made a uh, mention a few weeks back. Caleb, we're bringing Caleb on as our youth guy. Uh, excited to have him, and um, we're gonna actually install him completely today. We're gonna pray over him, and we're gonna pray over Jeremy and Amy. Jeremy and Amy have been interning uh, as deacons in our church. 
our deacons take care of like all the benevolent side of the church. So anybody in the church who has need, let's say someone needs some crutches or someone outside of the community comes in and they need some food or they need a gas voucher to get to Reno, anything that we can do to serve people outside of the church as well as inside of the church, uh, whether you're sick or you're, you're having a hard time, we've done everything from help people pay their rent uh, if they're in a need, doctor bills, those kind of things. They kind of oversee a group of funds that just helps meet very specific, tangible needs that people have in the body and outside of the body. And they have a whole uh, fund that they get to work with. In fact, on your envelope, you'll see it says Deacon's Fund on there. That's what that's for. Uh, several of you give to that, and we're thankful for it, and we get to do a lot of great things that you never even hear about. Some of the things I never even hear about as far as they help people out. And so they've been interning, and now they're going to be uh, officially installed as deacons. And so we're excited to have them as, as part of the team. So we're going to pray over them. So any of my, uh, I had several of them here in the first service. I don't know who's here this morning, but if I have any other pastors or leaders here this morning, would you guys come up and lay hands on them? Yeah, thank you, Brad. Oh, they were all in the back having a meeting. <laughs> it's like, where are they? Are I forgot they were in my office. That's hilarious. <clears throat> I was like, where are all these? Oh, those are leaders. Okay. Uh, another point to make here. Th- these are your leaders at the church. Should you give them a hand? Several of them here. They... <laughs> Almost all of them are volunteers. They help hold me accountable. They, they, they are just an incredible resource. And uh, someone was giving me a hard time actually this week. They said, you know, I think it's kind of funny that you mentioned that you're part of a team and that you don't let the church know that you're actually the lead pastor. And I said, that's on purpose because I know I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, but we do that on purpose because it's an emphasis that, that we want to do this as a team. I'm, I'm not the lead guy. Jesus is the lead guy. And these guys help us guide our church and do it well, biblically, theologically. And I'm just thankful that, really thankful this is a great group of people. They're not even all here. Several of them are, are on vacation. Brad Knowles in, uh, in Hawaii, which is ridiculous. I think he's a total meanie for doing that. Uh, but anyways, he's having a good time. And so um, if you ever need anything, these are some of the people you can go to for prayer, uh, tangible needs and things like that. So I want to make you aware of that. If you would, would you just uh, join me as a church family? Just kind of raise your hand out towards them just as a, a way to say, you know, s- extend your blessing uh, to, these, to these guys as we pray for them. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us as sinners into the ministry, allowing us as imperfect people to do the perfect work of salvation. I ask this morning that you would protect Caleb, Amy, and Jeremy from spiritual attack that you would guide them in grace, that you'd give them wisdom and knowledge above anything that we could ever think or imagine to help glorify you, protect their families. Lord, bless them for serving in the way that they are. And and I ask that we would get behind them in every way we can as a church to pray for our leaders as you instruct us to do so. And Lord, would you continue to pour your grace upon us? We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a hand. Please, thank you. Thanks, Joe. <clears throat> All right. Um, I'm losing my voice for some reason. I've, I think it's allergies a little bit. So I feel a little strained. So if I drink a lot of water, please don't be distracted by it. Um, I'm just kind of, I'm raspy. Um, so I'm going to try to do a little bit better of a job than I did in the first service, which is which is something I try to do every week. But the topic this morning, so here's where we're going. We, if you're new, we teach through books of the Bible, by and large, and we flip between Old Testament and New Testament. 
and then, on, and then in between, we do some topical. So we try to do the best we can to fulfill what God tells us to do, to teach the whole counsel of God. So next week, Travis will be here from So Ministries. He's going to share with us uh, from Mexico, serving orphans and widows. And um, they just purchased their property. He's going to give us an update on that. So that's going to be a great time next week. And then the following week, we'll start Galatians. And you've been asking for that. We have the ESV journals in the bookstore. If you want a journal and take notes, those are available for you. They, uh, I had one up here. looks like somebody purchased it or stole it. Um, and uh, we'll start that in a couple weeks. And so when I do topical, topical for me is difficult initially in that um, I feel strained because, see, if I teach Galatians in chapter 1, <clears throat> I know what's after chapter 1. Do you know what's after chapter 1? Chapter 2. It's crazy how that works. So, so chapter 1, I know, and then whatever we get through in chapter 1, I'm thankful for it. And then I have these guidelines. I have rails, and it keeps the roller coaster on the ride. And what you get is what you get because that's where we're at, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. But when I teach topical, I'm then set you know, in front of my computer to say, okay, what do I want? to teach. And therein lies the problem. What do I want to teach? And there's a pitfall, I think, that there's nothing wrong with topical. I'm teaching topical, but uh, I think that there's pitfalls to topical that a preacher, when preaching topical, could avoid tough topics if they want to. And so I was in front of my computer uh, sitting down, and I was trying to figure out a couple weeks ago, what did I want to teach on this particular Sunday? And uh, I have different ways that I do that. One of the ways that I did it is I pulled up all of my notes from between the years of 2000 and 2005, uh, which is a long time ago. So I've been preaching all the way back since 2001. And so I have my notes. I've organized them. I'm looking through them to see if there's anything that you haven't heard yet or that I remember preaching <laughs> in 2001 or 2002. And uh, up popped this, this uh, they were, I, I couldn't tell if they were notes from a sermon I had heard, or if they were notes for a message, uh, but they were some kind of notes nonetheless. And, and that's a whole nother like kind of fun journey for me to have done, to look back on what my notes looked like then and what they look like now. In fact, my notes then were like one page. Now they're like seven or eight pages. And they've just changed. The way that I preach has changed. I would say I probably had more zeal then than knowledge uh, I have a little bit more knowledge than I did then, uh, and some zeal, I hope. And I would pray in the next 10 years, I would continue to grow as a preacher, and my notes would evolve, and I would be better at what I do for, the, for your growth, for your sake, for the glory of God, for my own sake, that I would be uh, also growing in my faith as you are growing in your faith. And so anyways, here were these notes, and the notes were on generosity. They were on giving. And uh, I thought to myself, okay, I looked at the notes. They were rough. Uh, they, they definitely needed uh, a whole nother, you know, probably I think I, you know, 10 to 20 hours worth of work to make them work for a message this morning to really do uh, them justice. And I thought I probably needed to preach on this. And here's why. I've been preaching at SBC at some level or another, whether it was at youth ministry initially or as the, the second guy or now as the lead guy for 15 years. And in 15 years, probably even beyond that, I have never preached on giving or tithing. Uh, you should all clap for that, okay? <clears throat> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't need to <laughs> manipulate you to applaud the fact that I've never talked about money. That might say something bad about me. Every now and then, you know, we, we have not as a church, by and large, put an emphasis 
uh, on money. We don't pass a plate. Uh, so you never see the offering plate pass. Very rarely do we talk about the fact that we have boxes in the back. We don't talk about that you have the ability to, to tithe online uh, strategically. It, it comes up here and there, but we are not strategic about communicating, about giving. It's something we just have trusted the Lord in, and God has been faithful. However, we believe that you should teach the whole counsel of God, and God does talk about giving. So I want to say a couple things before we enter the text. First thing I want to say is, the conversation that we're going to have this morning is a family conversation. You know what I mean by that? Uh, it, we're a family. And if you come here regularly, and, and this is your church, you're, you're included in the conversation. If you're new here, uh, you're not a Christian, or you're visiting for the first time, um, you're not necessarily included in the conversation. You can just sit in on a conversation and maybe take it to your church. And we recognize that, that uh, we give, and the reason, the reason that, I've titled the message generous and not something on tithing or not something on giving is because I don't want to uh, minimize it to just financial stuff. It's bigger than that. And what you'll see here in the text, I got to be careful because I, I, I pontificated for far too long in the first service and then got to the text. I want to get the text quicker than I, th- in this service than I did the first one. But what I want you to see before we get in the text is what you have before us is the largest New Testament section, if not the largest section in the entire Bible, on giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses, uh, all of the verses there, and then most of chapter 9 as well. It's a letter that Paul has written to raise funds. It's a fundraising letter, which I think is comical. There have been fundraising letters all the way back to the first century church. Have you ever received a fundraising letter from a college student or what have you? They still were happening here. What I want you to see when we read the verses we read here in a moment is that Paul, who is writing this letter, is talking about giving financially. He's talking about money. But you know what's incredible about it? He never uses the words money, and he never uses a synonym for the word money in the entire section, which is too hard to do as a writer, without it being a deliberate thing. So let, let's look. If you would, uh, we have a, a tradition that we like to honor God's word. I want to encourage you to stand as we read these verses from chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Verse 1 of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this is not as we expected, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desire to do it. Lord, have your, your way in us this morning. Produce something in our hearts that only you can produce. We trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said. You may be seated. So, for brevity, I've only read a few verses. Now, here's the problem, okay? The problem that's existing right now in the first century church is you have the Corinthian church. With the, Corinthian, the Corinthian church was, was all kinds of a mess. So Paul writes the Corinthian church in many ways to guide them, to direct them, and to mature them. Now there, there's an issue of a famine that's happening in other churches abroad. So several of the churches are struggling not only due to persecution, but because of a famine, there's a great need. So Paul writes the Corinthians, and he says, he's, this is essentially what he's saying to the Corinthian church. Corinthian church, you need to give, but he doesn't use give. If you notice, I said he doesn't use uh, the words money. He uses uh, according to your generosity uh, and all kinds of different language that's used other than actually using the word a monetary gift. It's an issue of the heart. He says, okay, you need to give to these churches that are struggling, and he uses an example. Those of you who are paying attention to the text, who's the example? It's the Macedonian church. So he's writing to Corinth. He says, okay, Corinth, there's an issue with our other brothers and sisters abroad. They have a great need. And, and I want to I give you an example of the Macedonian church. And the Macedonian church, what they're doing is they, they've given. They've given so generously and so amazingly. I want them to be an example to you that you would be like them and give to those who are in need. Now, here we are in 2019, and because this letter's before us, and because the Bible is the living, active word of God, this now is extended to us. The Macedonian church is an example for Sierra Bible Church in regards to generosity. And I want to make note of a couple things that are very interesting. First of all, note that there is a problem. Secondly, note verse 8. It's actually an incredible statement in the passage that we have. It's just right there in the beginning. He says, give, give like the Macedonians, but I don't say this as a command. This is the kind of tone I hope to produce within the message this morning. The reason this is so interesting, the reason that this is just so stark and so amazing, is it's just as amazing as the fact that Paul has talked about giving, not only the passage we've read, but all the way through chapter 9, without actually using the words money, he also says this amazing thing. He says, you should give, there needs to be generosity, but I'm not saying this is a command to you. The reason this is huge is because if you think of any other moral thing that God has called us to do, it would never be an option, right? Paul never says to the church, don't commit adultery. Now, I say this as a suggestion, but maybe not do it, right? No, it's a command. And the reason is because giving is so connected with the issue of the heart. One thing that's really amazing, Keller says, says it like this. He says, the Bible warns against greed 10 to 20 times more than it warns against lust. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've had many men, countless men, more than I could ever produce in ministry, I've had men come to me and confess the issue of lust. You know what I've never been confessed to? Greed. 
I've never had an American male, or female for that matter, come to me and say, I have an issue of greed. However, the Bible talks about greed, as Keller says, at least 10 to 20 times more than lust. Now, what does that mean, he says? It means greed must be a bigger danger than lust, and yet we must by many times be less aware of it in ourselves. The reason, again, is because there's no behavioral referent. Paul is over and over again here in this passage saying, greed versus generosity is a matter of your heart. It's a matter of the emotions. It's a matter of the attitude. It's a matter of the gift. A widow's might, equivalent to some pennies, may be an act of radical generosity, but a huge gift might be the heart's effort just to hide itself from its own greed. So the reason this is important, two things. One is it's not a command. Two, I can't tell you this morning what real generosity is. Want to know why? Because it's such an issue of the heart and it's so different between each person. See, what we like, this is one of the reasons why we're doing Galatians next. We like as Christians, we like as people, we want to know what the law is so we can meet the bare minimum of the law. Just tell me what I need to do. And then we don't have to worry about ever going above it and we don't have to worry about feeling guilty about going below it. What's really interesting is if you go into the New Testament, Jesus actually rebukes the Pharisees for giving a tithe. He says you give a tithe because you do it so people can be seen, that, that people will see you do it. And see, so as Christians, we say, you know what? Um, as Christians, it is taught typically that you should give 10%. That it, when you get a check, $100, you should give 10%. I, I don't know if I totally agree with that. Now, I might, I might get in trouble. And I'll tell you a couple reasons why. One reason is, first of all, the, the tithe, the tenth, comes from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the tenth was for the Levite priests. So if you remember, right, children of Israel, they're freed from slavery and bondage. And they're given land. There's 12 tribes of Israel. How many of them got land? Who didn't get land? The Levites. And so what God said is, okay, the Levites, you know what their job is? Their job is to take care of the house of God. Their job is to take care of the sacrifices. Their job is to teach the word of God. Their job is to make the word of God sacred, holy, set apart. And, and what you're going to do to provide for the Levites is the Levites are going to work in the house of God. And the way they're going to be able to make their living is by all of the other tribes giving a tenth of everything they have to the Levites. So the Levites aren't given land. They're not given heritage. They're given, they're given a tenth to live on so they can take care of the word of God. And so initially the tenth was so that the, what was the Old Testament equivalent of the church of God would be able to exist. Now, the reason I say that, that I don't, I'm not so sure about that existing now in the New Testament is this passage here before us. If you notice, look at uh, verse 3. Two parts here I want you to see in the passage. Number one, they gave according to their means. Do you see it? They gave according to their means. Second part, it says then, as I can testify and beyond their means. Do you see it? Okay, this is why this is so important. If I say give 10%, and you give 10%, let's say you're the widow who gave the mite. She's a widow. She has nothing. Do you think a mite was more than 10%? Well, I don't know. You don't know. I'm led to believe, though, it probably was worth more than 10%. Here's what else I know. If you make $1,000 a month, and you live in Truckee, <laughs> first of all, how? <laughs> um, secondly, secondly, if you give $100, which is a tenth, to the church, that's a big deal for you. 
isn't it? If Bezos, you know who Bezos is? Do you know who Bezos is? He owns Amazon. If he gives 10%, he could give 10% and not even know he did it. Someone could steal 10% from Bezos and you wouldn't know. He'd wake up and go, where'd it go? Oh, the stock market took it. Okay. Instead, it was the widow. She took it, right? She gave it to the church. I don't know. Um, my point being is, is this. For some, for some, giving 10% is incredibly difficult. For others, 10% is easy. You don't have to think about it. And the issue is, is when he says here, he says, this is why you, when you think of generosity, when we think of generosity, it's not a command. It's an issue of the heart. And we don't look at it and say, listen, it'd be easy for you to say, give 10%. And then everyone's giving 10%. I've done the math here, just so you know. I don't know that I should have done this, but I did. So roughly around 500 people call Sierra Bible Church home. And if, if some of you are better at math than me, let's see if you can do the math with me this morning. If everyone in the, the church was living on one income of $50,000, and we're around 500 people, what's 10% of that? See, someone needs to bust out a calculator, apparently. <laughs> or we all need to go back to Truckee High and learn math. So here's the deal. If, if, uh, if I can't remember, I think after I did the math, all in all, our total annual budget as a church, if everyone gave 10% of $50,000, if you just gave the bare minimum, we would be around, we'd be just over $2 million for an annual budget. We're less than half of that. So before us as a family, what I know is, what I know off the bat is, not everybody gives 10%. And that, that's okay. Because the Bible is teaching here and teaches here. It says it in a few other places. And it says it in this passage as well. That if you give, and this is why it's an issue of the heart. If you give and you're not cheerful, it doesn't count. Okay, you want to know why this is a hard conversation for me? Because if I'm honest, I'm like, do you got a million to give? Give it. I'm a little unapologetic about this. Um, I, I, I hope Mike's not here this morning, but I used the example of Mike Harrison. He, Mike Harrison was on a TV show on Netflix. I don't know if you guys know this. He comes to church, and he, he had the opportunity to win a million dollars, which I'm sure his family would have been stoked to have, right? And at the end of the episode, if you watch the whole episode, I'm going to ruin it for you, but it's on Netflix. You can go watch it. You know, through, a, through what I think is a very smart decision, he, he takes the guaranteed money, which is 34000 and, and, and he, he, I don't know, do you guys, have you got your payment yet? You did? And it was like cut in half, right? Because Uncle Sam was like, uh-uh, you get $10,000. So, um, so I joked with Mike because Mike was telling me to watch it and stuff. And he wouldn't tell me what happened. So I watched it. And I, after I watched it one night, I was in bed. Right before I went to bed, I watched it. And, and uh, I texted him and I said, I said to him, well, the church sure could have used 10% of a million, but we'll take 10% of 34. <laughs> and... Uh, and I was purely joking with him, but not really, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I was telling my wife this, and she said, listen to you, man. Like, you just, just throw it out there. And I said, yeah. I said, totally, because, because I believe in the mission of God. And when you give to a church, you don't give to a church. You give to a mission. You're giving to the mission. So last week, really incredible, just a couple stories from our, for those of you who weren't there. Uh, there's a guy here, his name's Trey. Trey actually 
uh, was part of my community group and a uh, single guy. And he's been coming to church here for a little while. And <clears throat> strong Christian. And he flies helicopters. And he, he, the, the job just wasn't working out here. And he was asking the question, you know, because he just got a job in Utah. And he's moving. And he's, he was wondering why God sent him to Truckee. Well, he got into a, a friendship with a gal here in church. And this gal was exploring Christianity. And she comes from, if, if those of you know, I shared a little bit on uh, Sunday at the beach. Uh, I might mix this up a little, but I think it, her, her mother is Muslim and her father's Catholic. So she starts exploring Christianity. And she starts asking questions. And through God's sovereignty, she's introduced to Trey. And so they're starting, she's starting to ask questions, and Trey finds out she's exploring Christianity, and she's, she, she's just trying to find this out, right? So she doesn't know where to go. So she starts doing what a lot of us probably would do. She starts Googling, well, who's who? And she's listening to messages by uh, Joel Osteen. So Trey says, well, let's fix that. <laughs> and he pointed her in the direction of, of, of guys that, that we respect, that, that influence our church and shape us to the glory of God and use real good biblical language, and something started to click. And then he introduced her to my wife. Well, if you know my wife, my wife knows the word. So this gal, between listening to all these guys online, starts asking my wife questions about, you know, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, stuff that is really hard to, to grasp. And all of a sudden, she gives her life to Jesus, and she was baptized in front of our, her church family last week. Isn't that incredible? There's another couple. They live across the street from another couple here in church, and they've known them for a little while, and, and, uh, and they haven't been going to church. The gal starts going to church, starts coming here. Gets introduced to Jesus, accepts Jesus as their Savior. And the neighbor said, you know what? We know it's legitimate because, because the demeanor on her face has changed, and so is her attitude. Now, those, that's the end game. That's the, the mission of God. This is why we want to give generously so we can disciple and do everything that we can to see more people, not just in Truckee, California, but where? The entire world be impacted to the glory of God. This will require us as a church to be specific as a family to talk about the reality that we have to be generous in regards to our giving. And I can't tell you if it's just 10%. I think I'd be doing you a disservice. You want to know why? For some of you, it's probably more than 10%. And the reality is it might be 1% for some of you. For some of you, it might just get started. Get started. Start realizing what it means to, to be a part of the family, to invest into the family, and to invest into the kingdom of God. Now, again, I, I just want to take note here. This isn't a commandment. God's saying, listen, your heart has to be right. And as I stand before you, know, even though I'm unapologetic about you need to give to the mission of God, and even though I was joking with Mike, but not really joking, that's the reality. If, if you said you had the money and, and, and you felt guilty in giving it, my job to you is to be 100% honest and say, if you feel you're doing it under compulsion, don't do it because it doesn't count. You have to be cheerful about this. You have to be excited about it. And this is why Paul mentions the Macedonians. He says about the Macedonians, if you remember the text, I just read it, he says, first of all, the Macedonians were, were poverty-stricken themselves. They didn't have a lot of money. 
But here's where they're at. They're so excited. Paul says they were so excited in the text. He says they begged to give more. They're saying, Paul, here's what we can give. Oh, and by the way, let's get more. And they're they're like, let's do it. Let's get more. Let's get more. And Paul actually says, I had to tell them, easy. You still have some things you need to do. For your own church and for your own people, don't give more than you could. So the, the commandment, the teaching when we think about generosity is give according to your means and give beyond. See, as Christians, we can't just say there's the bare minimum. It's a hard issue. This is what God is saying. This is why Paul doesn't use, use specific language of money. He uses specific language of the heart. Where's your heart in this? What are you really thinking inside? Because here, here's the deal. Here's what we know. Here's what we know about American culture. The American culture is probably better at making and spending money than any other culture before it. The Bible has more to say about money probably than any other topic in all of the, the text of the Bible. So here's, here's the deal. As, as we talk about giving, it's not limited to just financial stuff. We'll get to that in a moment. The three T's that I typically use to explain is God requires us to give of our time, our treasure, that's money, and our talent. Are you with me? Time, treasure, and talent. For some people, it's... I know know this for a fact. Some people cut a check to Sierra Bible Church. Some people cut a check to the kingdom of God so they don't feel guilty about not spending time in the kingdom of God. That's an issue. And God would challenge that. The Bible says in Malachi that, that if you have abundance and you don't give of your abundance, you actually are robbing from God. I use this sometimes with people with music talent. I say, you know how to play the guitar? You know how to play the piano? Why aren't you using your music talent for the kingdom? Or your, your talent for kids? Or, or your talent to fundraise? How many of you know people who know how to make money? I know a couple. I'm not one of them. Um, use your talent for the kingdom. Now, why do we do this? So there has to be the right motive. So Paul says, okay, listen, he wants us to be generous. He wants to be generous in our time and our talent and our treasure. And he, said, he gives us the motive of why we do it. Verse 1, it's right out of the gate. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given. The, amongst the church, he's not just speaking financially, he's also speaking of Christ himself. Here's the connecting point. Look at verse 9. For you know, here's the word grace again, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the gospel. So we say, okay, why should I be generous? Why should I be somebody who goes above and beyond and gives according to my means? Why would I do that? You would do that because God has already given you his tithes. But the kicker is, he didn't give you 10%, did he? What did he give you? All of himself. So we give generously because God has given us. Here's what happens when you understand the grace of Jesus Christ. So so for those of you who are new Christians, and you're in the room this morning, you're a new Christian, you say, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means, first of all, you've encountered the grace of Jesus. 
that God has given you of himself freely without reproach. He loves you for who you are. You can't earn the kingdom of God. You can't earn your own salvation. It's all on him, faith alone and grace alone and Jesus alone. He did all of it. You experience the grace. You're awakened to the reality of who Jesus is. You're blown away that you can have a relationship with the God who made the universe. And you come into contact with him. Then that grace changes your heart and you become something like you weren't before. You become unlike you. Once you've experienced that, the grace of Christ then gives us a rule of thumb on how we live our lives. So you say, why should I be generous? Because Jesus has given you a rule of thumb of what generosity looks like. God didn't withhold himself from you. He rather gave himself to you completely. And note, note that it, it impacted God to the point of hurt and pain to do it. So one of the things we also have to teach, incredibly important in our prosperity kind of culture with the prosperity gospel. Some would teach that when you encounter the grace of Jesus Christ, that when you encounter that grace, that God, because now you've been favored by God, that you would now also be favored within your finances. I don't know if you, I haven't seen it yet. Some of you probably have, but there's a new documentary on Netflix on, on uh, the political elite. And it's attached itself to the name Christianity. And it seems from the previews that the political elite have believed that they, I don't know if this is true or not, but that they have been chosen by God to lead the world, to have the finances they have, that because of their money and that the teaching in the, in the promo, I haven't seen the whole thing, so, so don't, don't nail me in the corner for all of the statements I'm about to make, that essentially... <clears throat> That the reason that they're in leadership and the reason that they are rich is because they are the chosen of God. And that when you've been chosen by God, you get to benefit from these things. That's not true. I don't know whoever told them that, but they lied to them. If you note in the text, when Paul talks about the generosity there's never a promise that the Macedonian poverty be, would be lifted from them if they gave to the other churches in need. In fact, I would dare say that probably all of the giving that occurred still kept everyone probably really close to poverty level. And in fact, I would, say, I would also say that sometimes to give generously would keep you in a lower financial place than you would be if you weren't giving. So there's no promise here of, you're not going to hear this, you're not going to hear this at SBC. You're not going to hear this from this pulpit. If you give, you'll be blessed. You give because you understand the mission. And that God requires us to give of our time, treasure, and talent for people to be saved. And we give because we've already received the greatness of Jesus Christ. Piper, I think he says it like this, um, not only has the grace of God brought more affliction, but has not removed poverty. Instead, it has made poor people ra radically generous people. Don't, this one, don't let this one slip without getting clobbered by it. Here are people unlike us. And if we're honest, they're unlike us. In much affliction, in extreme poverty, and instead of grumbling, complaining, and whining, 
They are overflowing with an abundance of joy. That is the key to Christian living. In and out of affliction, I don't say it lightly, I say it because it's God's amazing word, which can accomplish in us what he describes it to do for us. If you take note, the Macedonians aren't saying, well, well, wait a minute, we're in poverty, we should be receiving. Now, it's not me saying this, but I've heard several other individuals say this, both in and outside of the church, that poor people are often the most generous people, even more so than the rich. I've been to Mexico. I remember, I've been two places that really stood out to me. One was in Mexico, one was in Papua New Guinea. We were in deep Mexico for a missions trip years ago. And I remember we were there and the family said, we have to feed you dinner. And I was told by someone there they didn't have, they didn't have refrigerators and, uh, and that we were going to be eating a, a questionable meal, I think was kind of what was described to me. Like, like, just eat it and praise God for whatever comes after. <laughs> and uh, I remember they went into the yard and they had one last chicken. And it was alive. And they grabbed that chicken and they, they did things to that chicken that made it edible. And we ate it. It was an incredible meal. It was a difficult meal to eat from American perspective, but it was all they had. And they felt they were doing us a, this tremendous gift, and they were. They, they gave out of their poverty. I had another meal several years back in, in Papua New Guinea. People who, their families live in a hut that's no more than probably 10 feet in diameter. The fire sits in the middle. The soot rises to the top. The soot actually seals the hut. Smells smoky in there. There's a, basically the whole house is just one big round bed. Everyone sleeps around that bed. The fire in the middle, that's where they eat. That's where they sleep. That's where they dine. We had some plantains, had some chicken. And again, it was out of their poverty. Great generosity. And, and the, the, the understanding here is that, that there's a part of us that, again, wants to know what's the bare minimum to give, but there is no bare minimum. It's the issue of the heart of generosity. And our church, we have been, I think, in, actu- in actuality, I think even though, you know, I shared those numbers earlier, I think our church is really generous. I think most of you do an incredible job giving of your time and your treasure and your talent. I think it was Brad Beers who was saying in one of our meetings that uh, being part of several churches that, that our percentage of people who serve here is just through the roof. And it is. We have people willing to do all kinds of things. I remember we, uh, uh, you know, just this idea of just giving extravagantly too. That when we give to the Lord, especially in American culture, we shouldn't give, we shouldn't give our second best, should we? I was part of a large church in San Diego and we had a, we had a breezeway. And in the breezeway were hundreds, I mean hundreds, of used monitors and used computers. And probably, you know, nine and a half times out of ten, we would have to toss those computers, throw them away, absorb the cost of actually throwing that technology away in a way that is appropriate. But people would give all of their, their secondhand stuff all in the name of the Lord, you know, as if, as if we needed some used computers. Somebody updated theirs, decided the church could use a second-hand PC. And we would just throw them away. Now, we, again, we live in the most prosperous culture in all, probably all of the history of the world. Why would we give God our second best? We had a guy in the church at one time when I was doing youth ministry, we took close to 100 youth kids and, and leaders down to San Diego to, 
to visit a school of ministry and check out a, the Creation Museum that was in San Diego at the time. And I didn't know how I was going to accomplish this. It was quite an uh, administrative tax. How do I figure out how to get 100 people from Truckee uh, to San Diego safely? And I didn't have enough vehicles. And uh, someone who was really, really generous in the church said, you know what, I know this trip is important to you. I know it's important to the kids. Uh, I'm actually going to charter a bus for you. And so he rented out a bus so all 100 of, us, 100 of us could fit in this bus together. We could all be together in community. It was $10,000 for the week, which we couldn't afford as a church, not at the time. Still couldn't afford it now. And so he said to me, he said, you know, I know these trips are important. I know safety is uh, important for you. So, um, so actually, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really want to spend $10,000 every year. I said, oh, thank you. I can understand that. So instead, we're going to buy you a bus. And his family bought us an 80000 it was close to $90,000 bus. Some of you, have seen, have you seen it? Some of you have, haven't seen it. It hasn't been in the parking lot because it's under repair. And we just got a, uh, totally kind of off topic, but we just got a letter from the DMV stating in January we'll no longer be able to drive it on the roads in California. And so, so they got, we got this bus. has all these TVs in it. I mean, this thing is like, it's cool. And, and we had a few people say, Does, do we need to do something that extravagant? Does it need to be that big of a, I, I don't know, I, I, but we'll take it, right? I mean, the guy said, hey, listen, I want to buy you a $90,000 bus. And I said, well, you know, okay, we'll take it. And we used the, the heck out of that thing. It's been a great resource for John over the years, and we don't know what we're going to do to fix it uh, now, we don't know what, you know what our options are. We might go a different route. But the point being is someone said, I want to pour into the kingdom of God. I want to pour into kids going on youth. Somebody said, I'm willing to invest and do something incredible, and I'm not going to give second best. When we give to the Lord, we have to go above and beyond. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we've got to give God the best of the best. In fact, I, I used a couple of illustrations in this uh, first service that I think are really neat uh, to share. One is Bayside. There's a church uh, thousands, huge. They're like taking over Sacramento. And I was studying this week, and someone shared the story with me that Bayside uh, ordered in the middle of service. I'm tempted to do this now. They ordered in the middle of service a pizza, just one pizza. I think they were going to see if pizza would be divided the same way fish and loaves were. <laughs> Sausage doesn't divide the same way, apparently. So, Anyways, they, they ordered a pizza, and in came a delivery girl. And they legitimately ordered a pizza from a local company, from a local delivery gal. Not from the gal specifically, but just they didn't know who was going to show up. They just knew someone was going to deliver the pizza. What they didn't know and what you don't know is before she came, the pastor led an offering service for a tip for her. So they ordered pizza for somebody. Maybe it was nobody at all. So she shows up to a church. She delivers one pizza and gets probably the largest tip she has ever seen in her entire life. Isn't that neat? That's extravagant. Do you know where she went to church the next week? <laughs> Not here. <laughs> Bayside. Now, that's an amazing, that's like go above and beyond. Don't just give to your means, but sometimes just blow people's socks off. Just, just blow their socks off. There was another church I'd heard of in Michigan. They, they actually, the pastor gave a message kind of like I did on giving, and they, they put a bunch of, another large church, a bunch of, uh, uh, buckets in the front row and the pastor said now you need to come you need you need to come you need to give you need to act you need to respond and he and they did people came and they gave and then he kind of turned a corner a little bit got a little bit more i don't know maybe you might use the words manipulative you give more there's more of you need to give more of you need to give 
And he kept kind of turning the wrench a little bit. I think somewhat probably tactfully. I wasn't there. Just a story I've heard that I know is true. And uh, after several minutes or a period of time, it finally came to a place where he said, you know, you gave. You gave to the Lord. And we thank those of you who were able to do that, for those of you who felt led to do it. And then he said, then he said the, the thing that just blew everyone away. Now, some of you have need. And now it's time for you to come down the altar and come and take. Now, imagine that. There are some people who would say, what? That's, that's crazy. Why would you do that? You've got to police these people. Some of you, some of you ba- pass by homeless people on the road. You go, you know what? They're going to they're gonna abuse it. They're not going to use it the right way. Some of you might even say that about Sierra Bible Church. Hey, I get it. The church is run by sinners. I'm one of them. If I give my money to the church, how do I know that if I give that money, it's going to be used? Or how do I know 100% of it's going to be used? That's asked by donors all the time. How do I know 100% of my funds are going to go to this particular need? And I say all of that is good. All of that is, is wise. The Bible teaches that you should be good stewards. The Bible teaches that you, you shouldn't just throw your pearls to the swine, if you will. However, what you don't see in the example before us is Jesus saying, I will not die on the cross unless I know for sure no one will trample on my blood. And if you're honest this morning, we have all taken great advantage of the great generosity of Jesus Christ. And so now when we think of generosity for Christians, we say we've got to go above and beyond. And now here's this pastor who hasn't preached this in well over 15 years. He's making me feel really uncomfortable. I would say, good, every now and then you need to be uncomfortable. And you need to allow the grace of Jesus Christ to press upon your heart for you to actually ask the right question. Are you using your funds in a way that is, as one author says, fidgeting until you die? But one author says, he says, basically, all of our spending and all of our getting is the equivalent. We all feel it within our soul because we know we have to live for something that we're just buying things, doing things, going to Disneyland, going on vacations. And he says, it's all equivalent to fidgeting until we die. Or we can spend our money and our time and our treasure into giving into a kingdom that will last for eternity. I don't want to fidget till we die. You know, there's a great example in the Old Testament of a man who probably was more wealthy than Bezos himself. Do you know who that man was? Solomon. The Bible actually teaches, it, it, the language it uses, not only was he the richest man up until that point in the history of humanity, but he probably will be the richest man ever in all of human history. And, and basically, what Solomon has done for us. He's given us a great, beautiful example. He's written an incredible book, Ecclesiastes. And it's his book of a wealthy man spatting out his wealthy life. And if you remember, if you read that book, you'll see he basically says, hey, I had money to do everything I wanted to do. I bought the women I wanted to buy. I threw the parties I wanted to throw. I had the best of the wine. I had the best of the food. I had the Ferrari. I had... I had the Bentley. He probably even had the Tesla. He had all of it. And he had multiple of them. It's like walking into Leno's garage. Look it. Except they weren't cars. You know, it was a chariot. Chariot with gold wheels. A chariot with silver wheels. He just had all of it. He had everything that he, and he, he literally says in Ecclesiastes, anything my eyes saw and wanted, I got. I withheld from myself nothing. And then what does he say in the book? It's all vanity. It's vanity, it's vanity, it's vanity. He says it over and over again. 
And the word vanity in that book literally means smoke. He says, it's, it's like I had it, but I didn't have it. It didn't fulfill. It didn't, it didn't do anything. And then at the end of the book, right, you read the whole thing and you're like, life's not worth living. That's, that's how it's read. Like you don't take a new Christian and say, read Ecclesiastes first. <laughs> don't do that. Horrible discipleship. He's going to walk away after five chapters and say, I'm out. But then if, you, if you're able to stick with him, he says, it's vanity. It's, the length of the book is almost an example for us of the duration and time sometimes it takes us to realize that materialism never satisfies. And he's wrestling and toiling through life, trying, trying to find significance and meaning and happiness through buying and pleasing of his own flesh. And then he gets to the end of the book after saying it's vanity over and over again. And he says, the end of the matter is love God and live for him. It takes him all the way to the end. Some believe that it's possible that, that really what Solomon did is he encountered the living God, walked away from the living God, did everything the culture told him to do, did the drugs the culture told him to do, listened to the music the culture told him to listen to, bought what the culture told him to buy, and he just bought into all of it, and then he found at the end of his life how unhappy he was, and then he returned back to what he knew as a child, that only through God is there true peace. My friends, the only way we really will find true peace, not just in our finances, but in every aspect of life, is for us to give ourselves to the Lord. And this, this is one of the most important aspects of the message that I need you to see this morning. Not that we just see that Jesus has given himself to us, but really true generosity is that we give ourselves to God. Look at verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us. This is where we have to start. When we think of generosity, the first step is, it isn't this morning for you to say, you know, Jesse's preached this message, I, I get what he's saying. It isn't for you to reach a little bit deeper into your checking account per se. It isn't for you to dig into your savings or your Whatever it is, that it isn't, that's, not, that's not it. The first step, the first step is for you to really do the hard work of have you given yourself to Jesus as a living sacrifice first. This is Paul's encouragement. He says, I, I, I would ask you that you would give of yourselves as a living sacrifice to the living God. And, and, and have, you, have you placed your life upon the altar of God and said, God, do with me as you please. As one great prophet said, though he slay me, I will trust in the Lord. To give up, to give up something, or may, to, to gain everything, really, would you give yourself to the Lord? In a few moments, we're going to partake in communion. And what I think is really beautiful, one of my elders made the connection even greater than I did this morning. We don't pass an offering plate, not that you put money in, but we, cut, we pass the communion plate. We don't take of an offering, we present the offering to you. You see, the, <laughs> every, other, every other treasure you have on this earth, you have to purchase. Every treasure on this earth, you have to purchase. Jesus is the only treasure that purchases you. He buys you. He pays for you. I remember uh, all through before my dad died several years ago, about six years ago now, my dad would take the family out, never let us pay. 
And there's a few people in the church here to take me out to lunch, take me out to dinner, never let me pay. And I, I now see that as just an amazing act of incredible generosity. My dad, I think, got something that maybe I don't even fully understand now, that, that it's better to give than to receive. I want to ask the, the guys, the leaders to come forward here as I share this last little piece. And they're going to pass to you the communion this morning. Um, you come forward, Caleb. And John, if you're in here, and uh, Beige, would you help out? Um, Frank, would you come? There's a, <clears throat> do you think about this? There's a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good story. And it's a story of a revival that was happening in uh, Africa. And so all these people were coming to uh, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in Africa. And, and people were coming to the Lord, and a brand new uh, Christian was in the service, and the deacon was walking around passing out the offering plate, much like we'll pass around the communion here. And, and uh, this deacon came across a new Christian. And this new Christian said, would you lower the plate? And so the deacon lowered it, and the new Christian said, lower it a little lower. He lowered it a little lower. He said, lower. He got to the point where the deacon now kind of hunched over a little awkwardly. And the new Christian continued to have the deacon lower the offering plate to, to where it finally rested on the ground. And once it was on the ground, the new Christian stood in the offering plate and stated that he was giving his entire life to Jesus Christ. The greatest thing you can give to the Lord is Christ yourself, is to give yourself to the Lord, 100%. Buy in. Buy into the mission of God, not the church. One of the things I, I try to tell our team every now and then is, don't put the logo on everything. Don't put SBC on everything. Put follow Jesus, make disciples. That's the mission. Follow Jesus, make disciples. For his glory, through his word, on his mission. It's not about the SBC logo. It's it's about Jesus. That's why even some people say, we've got to have the cross in the, in the sanctuary. People get really picky about that. We took down the cross a few years ago. People, woof, you just thought we killed Jesus again. <laughs> Where's the cross? And back in the Reformation, they used to say, you know, we don't put any symbols in the church except for one, an open Bible. Because we're not to worship a symbol. We're to worship the man. We're to worship Jesus himself. And so if you would... In my notes, my last slide for next steps. Here's the next steps. Here's takeaway. And on purpose, I've tried to use language in the next steps um, that are similar to the text before us. I don't want to give you some kind of fine, this, give 10%. I think I'd be doing you a disservice to do that. Instead, I want to ask you, find a practical way to be generous outside of the church. That's number one. Find a way to proclaim the radical grace of Jesus Christ in a tangible way in the Tahoe Truckee area. You know, if you want to give to a high school student, we've got a couple people here in the high school who work at the high school. I bet if you ask them, say, you know what? So-and-so can't afford football pads or so-and-so needs an extra bump in books. We've got a gal in the church who, who uh, helps pay for school. Anytime a kid leaves from high school to school, she helps pay for books. And, like, be radical in your generosity. Are they going to take advantage of it? Yeah! So are you! Right? Number two, find a practical way to be generous inside of the church. That doesn't just mean money. Time, treasure, talent. 
So this is pure coincidence. I know it's not going to sound that way. You're not going to believe me, but it is. Uh, we're coming up on, on fiscal year end for us as a church. This is family stuff now. So every year we sit down. It runs from October to October because uh, year-end gifts in January are always larger. So for us, just the way we budget. And we always have to carry this, um, this real big tension. First of all, did you know your, your church here, if you're family, do you know we have a budget? You should thank the Lord that we have a budget. Like, God, thank you. And we budget. We sit down. We look at the numbers. <clears throat> but here, here's, here's the part that's tough with a budget. You know what a budget can do? A budget could hinder you from living by faith. Well, we better not go above and beyond because we have a budget. And so what we've done is we have calculated that we want to not only have a budget, we, wanna, we want to be able to see more people come to Jesus for free. And so we've got a 7% increase in our budget this next year. We don't know where it's going to come from. Here's what's funny about me even mentioning 7% and why I'd be afraid to mention it. Some of you might laugh at it. 7%, you should try for 50. And some of you are like, 7%, where's the money going to come from? I don't know. I never know how much is going to come in during the week. And one of the things that I shared in the first service, for the most part, 98% of you, I have no idea what you give. No idea at all. And I'd let Brad know that. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Because when you walk up to the door, I don't want to care whether you gave 25 grand one week or you gave 25 bucks that, that week. I want to love you for you. And I don't want you to ever feel like, well, he's only talking to that person because they happen to give more money to the church. I'm only talking to that person because you happen to be here. Welcome, right? <clears throat> and if I do know, it's because someone has come to me and said, I've got X amount of dollars. I want to make sure that it's invested in the right thing. Here's what I'm giving. Would you please make sure the leadership makes sure that it goes to that program? And I say yes. And here's what's really cool, really neat about our church. This is a little bit brag stuff, but also build trust kind of stuff. Uh, number one, we have never, ever given less than 100% of funds to where they were dedicated to. Isn't that pretty incredible? If you gave 100 bucks to something... The deacons fund, the missions fund, that's where it went. In addition to that, we give well over 20%, close to 30% of our income outside of the church walls. Now, you may not know if that's a big deal, but I meet with pastors all the time, all the time. And when I tell them what we give, they ask me, how? How do you do that? Because most churches are around 10%. So all that to be said, like, we want to be generous. You know, I got to be careful, but I'm just an open guy, and so you just shoot me for honesty, I guess. But there's a reason that we're covering two salaries in August for our youth program. That's generous. We could justify carrying one salary. Why would we do that, though? Why would we do that to John, who we love? Why would we do that to the kids that we want to see transition in the next leadership well? Why would we do it? It doesn't make any sense. Do you know that's outside a budget? I'm just going to do it. You know, we're giving John a severance. We want John to be able to live for several months so he can figure out what God has for him next. We don't need to do that. But John has dedicated his life here for the last close to 10 years. He's poured himself out. Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we be generous with our own as well as generous within people in the community? We have people who come in all the time. We probably shouldn't give them a gas card, but we do anyways. Want to know why? Because we've probably taken advantage of the grace of the Lord Jesus as well. 
please understand, it does not mean that we throw wisdom out or discernment out. It means that we are trying to do the best we can to exemplify what Jesus has done for us in our community. And we want to continue to do the amazing things we've done for free as much as possible. You know, we have the premier, one of now, we're competing with Gateway every Halloween. We have the premier Halloween event in this area. Did you know that? How cool is that? Come on, think about it. I just think it's pretty neat. We go, what What are you doing on Halloween? We're redeeming it. We're taking a day where most would look at it for, you know, fighting it fighting for the enemy. We're fighting against the enemy. We're, we're giving away a plethora of candy and, and food and drinks, and we party it up all for the name of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest event that we do as far as numbers go. Well over 1,000 people attended here last year. 30-something volunteers. 40-something volunteers at VBS. 120-plus kids. Do you know what we charged for all of it? Nothing. Nothing. We try to do everything we can for free. And if we can't do it for free, we do as little, we, we charge as little as we possibly can. Whether it's a men's retreat or men's conference or some kind of televised, I mean, you name it. You want a book out of the bookstore, just go ahead and take it. I probably shouldn't say it, right, Brad? Because they probably will. Right? <laughs> it's on an offering basis. It says it in the coffee shop. Suggested offering. You want to know why? Because technically we're not for profit. We can't charge you for books. Do you have a need for an ESV journal? You might as well take it. After a message like this, hopefully we'll have a few more funds to cover it. <laughs> so here's the deal. They're going to pass out uh, the elements right now. Go ahead and start handing out the bread and, and the juice. And I'd ask for a couple things here for myself. One, would you please be gracious with me in a message like this? Um, talking about money is difficult. And it's awkward. And there's a lot that could go wrong in a message like this. A lot could be misunderstood. Uh, and so give me grace because I, this isn't a topic that I'm polished on. This isn't something that I study regularly. How do you speak to the church about giving? Maybe I should. Um, I heard one pastor say this week while I was listening to messages on offerings and stuff. <clears throat> he said, when it has come to, to those who give of the church... It has been said that those who gave the greatest to the kingdom are either in nursing homes or in graveyards. And uh, I've felt a need over the last couple of years to have to actually share this. It's taken me this long to get to it because um, one of the points of praise for our church is that we are multi-generational, which is really, really neat. And we want to stay that way. Those of you who are older or more mature, you have a lot more to do for the glory of God. And I would say to you as a younger person, I'm in desperate need of your wisdom, your talents, and your resources. And then there are several of us who are younger, and you don't quite, it's possible, statistics would say, you don't quite understand giving the way that the older generation did. I don't totally know all the reasons for that. Um, but if you just do a, your own Google search on the percentages that those who are younger give as opposed to the percentages of those who came before you, percentages, not money, not amount, percentage, that it's significantly lower. 
So in a concern for a multi-generational church would be that um, we're not able to do more for the kingdom. Because it does take time, treasure, and talent. For all, it takes all of it. It's said that the younger generation doesn't serve as much as the older generation as well. So I take great joy when I see some of the younger people in the sound booth or in the coffee shop. Or It's incredible to see young people serving the kingdom of God. And we want to continue to do that, as well as those who are older. So it's a message that um, there are many who are predicting. I actually I sit on the, the board for our denomination, part of the board for our denomination, and one of the guys from the main office said that <clears throat> giving for the denomination as a whole was down, I think, like 20% as a whole, which means the denomination gets some, its income from churches. So it means that the churches aren't getting the same kind of income, so the churches aren't, aren't giving income to the denominations. And the reason that's important is because one of the ways that we reach the world is through our denomination. So we send funds to another organization that 100% funds our missionaries. That's really a big deal, that our missionaries are 100% funded, which means when they come back to America, they don't have to travel from church to church to church in a minivan with a projector trying to raise funds. They can come back and rest. And I think it's really incredible that we're part of something that when we send a missionary out, we can fund them 100% so that they don't have to worry about funds. They just have to worry about reaching people for Jesus. And what he said was, and I don't know if this will be true or not for our church, but he said it's possible that the churches in America may have to start learning how to do more with less. And I'll tell you, if I'm honest, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe some churches in America have become so fat in their wallet books that they've forgotten how to live by faith. You know that's possible. I don't know. It's not my job to know. My job is to teach the counsel of God to let it go forth as I've done so this morning, to let God do what he needs to do in your heart, and then for our church to be what God wants our church to be. Because it's possible, what if, what if one day the message of Jesus Christ is so offensive that the only people who will ever ever hear it are really truly the broken and the poor? What if that was the case? Well, then we'd be broken and poor. We'll go meet in the yard somewhere. And during winter, it'll stink. We'll just build a big old igloo and we'll make it work. However, I do believe that God has always been in the business of not just saving, saving the poor who are broken, but also the rich who like to pretend they're not broken. And to see all of those individuals come to the saving knowledge of grace. I hope you would join me in that. Because I'm bought in. I'm 100% sold in. I did my staff review this week, and the elders told me, you're doing too much, and if you don't start guarding and protecting your time, you're going to burn out. But I'm so sold that my leaders are saying, easy, easy guy. And I would say to you as a church, I want to love you for the long term. I want to pastor you for the long haul. And I want to be a part of whatever God's going to do in the next 15, 20 years here. And I would pray that I would do as Wayne has done, which is to pass the great message of Jesus Christ to the next generation in a way that they can pass it to the next generation. Amen? Amen. Take a few moments of silence, and uh, we'll partake together here in a moment.
For a moment there, I thought we were out of juice. Beijo was hoarding it all. Um, so here's where I hope you make the connection. We didn't pass the plate and say, you know, after a message like this, put something in a plate. No, it's after a message like this, remember what's been given to you from the plate. Jesus sat with his disciples at that last meal and he connected hundreds of years of tradition to a new tradition. My body broken on your behalf. My blood shed that I would purchase you into the kingdom of God. That you would live in my mansion for eternity. Jesus, I pray that the emphasis of your saving grace would not be lost on us. But that the gospel would become more real to us every day. We trust you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. may partake. His body broken for us. God bless you. I'm going to sing one last song. Thank you for the extra time. And let's just thank him in, in singing for what he's done for us. See you next week. Would you stand as we close in song? In this last song, let's just celebrate what he has done for us. Beat.